I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. I'm Kate. This is Mike. And today we have an awesome episode for you. We really covered a lot of territory with our friend Amanda Steinberg. I met Amanda through Chris Carr, and Amanda is one of Oprah's Super Soul 100 of the inaugural group. Forbes named her one of 21 New American Money Masters. She's also appeared on Good Morning America, Today, CNN, and MSNBC. That's a lot of consonants. She is the founder of DailyWorth.com which is a women's personal finance site that I actually joined, I think, gosh, in 2009, the year it started when she launched before I knew Amanda. And she's really, really, really brilliant. She also recently started a digital investing service called Worth FM, which received front page coverage in the New York Times business section. And she's the author of Worth It, Your Life, Your Money, Your Terms, out in February 2017, which is now. We are so excited about this interview. We really had a lot of fun, didn't we, honey? What did we cover? We did. We covered, we talked about her being a serial entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. starting multiple businesses, being in a tremendous amount of debt. How does she handle that? We talked about different- Well, how did she get out of it? Right. How does she get, but no, I mean, handle it, I mean, from an emotional standpoint. totally. So, you know- We talked about money types. Yeah, we talked about money types, which I took mine. Did you take yours? I haven't taken it yet, but go to moneytype.me. Yeah, we'll link all of it up in the- Show notes, yes, that you can find on katenorthrup.com forward slash podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we also talked about the Worth FM, why she decided to start an investing service, you know, a digital investing and service. why it's specifically geared for women and how women interact differently with money than men. And Amanda is a hardcore feminist, so this is not about dumbing down women. This is about celebrating and supporting the different ways that we approach money. And we're actually, by the way, really inherently good at it. So you can learn more in the episode. We also have a copy of Amanda's book to give away. And our giveaway is tag us on Instagram at Kate Northrup at Mike J. Watts and show us a picture of you doing something that makes you feel worthy. And we're going to pick a winner at random, and we're going to send you a free copy of Amanda's book in the mail. So again, tag us at Kate Northrup, at Mike J. Watts. Show us a picture of yourself doing something that makes you feel worthy. Enjoy the episode. Amanda's amazing. And if you want to win a copy of her book, post yourself on Instagram, doing something that makes you feel worthy on the day the episode goes live, and we will pick a winner. Enjoy. All right, welcome to the Kate and Mike show. I'm Kate. I'm Mike. And we have Amanda Steinberg. Hey, Amanda. Hi. Hi. Amanda is, as I told you in the intro, she has been a friend for several years. And Amanda, I have loved, loved, loved watching your trajectory over the last several years and the way you have taken a stand for women and our worth. I knew about Daily Worth before I knew you, dailyworth.com. And then I don't actually, I think maybe we met through Chris Carr. I'm not sure. But 
I want to know your story and why you started dailyworth.com and tell a little bit about kind of like the stats there. I know you get a bajillion visitors a day. The story is I've always been really interested in both social impact as well as business at the same time and the congruence between the two. They don't have to be diametrically opposed. They can work together. And so I've always been searching for the biggest possible social impact and also the biggest possible financial impact I can have. And I've really found, had all that, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I was a computer programmer for 10 years and I found that come together in Daily Worth because you know, I was really, it started with my own issues around debt despite massive earnings as a programmer. And then also looking at all these powerful women in my life and seeing them have big dreams, big jobs, big resumes, but this very skittish relationship to money. And I thought if women are going to be equal and we think that's a good idea, which I think is a good idea, then they're going to have to have um, a much healthier and shifted relationship to their money. Otherwise, they won't have the power at home to do what they want to do. So they'll still be dependent on others. So I thought, hmm, that's half the population. I think that counts as big impact if I can really pull this one off. Yeah, totally. So you started in what year? 2009. 2009. Oh, not that long ago, really. Nope. It's eight years ago. It was the same week I gave birth to my daughter. So I No kidding. Yes. Okay, that's amazing. Well, Real, what kind of a crazy person launches a website the same week they I'm, give birth? I'm, I'm about as crazy as they come, sister. <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> did you take a break with your daughter or did you just um, kind of keep on working? You know, I just, I'm much more of an ebb and flow kind of person where if I had taken a break, I would have been, I mean, you know, they sleep all the time for the first six weeks. So I remember in the <laughs> That was not my experience, but I have heard other babies do that. <laughs> not Penelope. <laughs> So, you know, I remember when I was in the delivery room with her, you know who Barry Tesler is, right? I the love Barry. Soul honey. Yeah, exactly. I was just starting Daily Worth. And I remember, you know, Maya was sleeping for two hours. I'd read Us Weekly in People Magazine. I watched Sully land the airplane in the Hudson River because uh-huh. that's what happened that day. And then there was like nothing else to do. So Barry and I had a conference call about Daily Worth. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know? This is after you had like given birth. This was after I'd given this birth. This is after. Okay. I was like, oh, I can't imagine doing that while you're in labor. Although there are all different kinds of labors as well. So you launched the week you gave birth. And then can you tell us about the trajectory since then with sure. Daily Worth? So I started Daily Worth because I was a mess, not because I was an expert. Mm. And I did it as my self-help project so that I would have to put everything online, honestly, which would force me to get my act together. Unfortunately, it worked. It took a couple of years, but I literally, I stripped myself down to the bare bones. Sadly, that included divorce for me. It does not have to include divorce for everyone else. Right. So it was really this process of building a business. You know, you know, the lean startup methodology. Yeah. You know, I find that the lean startup methodology, which is get down to the core, core, core problem and then find the simplest solution to that core problem. And if it doesn't work, throw it out and start something over again. Don't try and like fix your solution to the problem. Hmm. And so I built Daily Worth kind of the same way I had decided to hit the reset button on my life and managed both simultaneously and thought, let's throw out everything we know here because I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I was budgeting. I thought I was saving and I still ended up $100,000 in debt. And my life is so freaking expensive that I need to 
just strip it all away and stop being who I think I am and rebuild. Otherwise, I'm going to be financially unstable and therefore unstable for the rest of my life. So I read your story in your new fantastic book, Worth It. And the subtitle is Your Life, Your Money, Your Terms. I highly recommend that every woman and honestly, man, get this book. This is a great book for both. But I read about your story. And was it really that your life was so expensive? Was that the problem? Or what else was going on? Like, why did you get $100,000 in debt? The reason I got $100,000 debt is I was following a lot of rules that I thought were right, but I didn't really understand them. I'll give you one example, which is my favorite one, even though it wasn't the most expensive one. My favorite one is the fact that I bought a house because I thought a house was an investment. Mm-hmm. And a house, and there's all that I call them in the book roots and wings. Roots are your assets, and wings are your cash flow. There's really three types of roots anyone can build first and foremost, and there's lots of others that are possible, but the three core roots that anyone can build are a retirement account, which is a type of an investing account, buying a house, or owning a business. And the big mistake that I made was I thought that just because I was starting a business and buying a house that my net worth would grow, I didn't realize that they can also become liabilities. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. So you started Daily Worth to kind of get yourself out of your own pickle. Yes. And what was the first, so you got divorced. That was one big thing, but obviously not everyone has to do that. What were some of the other things that you did that were some of your first steps to change your financial trajectory and begin to build a positive net worth? The first step was actually, I attended a workshop on women and money led by raw goddess. And Oh, she's so amazing. That's so cool. She's the reason for everything in my life. You know, she's the reason for a lot of things in a lot of people's lives. She's like behind the scenes in so many incredible women's lives. She's the Oracle. She is. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I went to, I've known her since I was 22. That's like 15 years. So I went to a workshop led by Ra and Leah Andres in New York. This was 2008. I was still pregnant at that time. And I'd done a lot of transformational work, but I'd never done it around my money. And I realized that I'd been saying I'm a spender, but I always thought I earned so much money that I would eventually have some, which is completely illogical. (laughs) Or maybe it's somewhat causal, but doesn't necessarily mean it's true by any means. And yes. So anyhow in realizing that and then also realizing that I'd made up the fact that I'm a spender, it wasn't necessarily true and I could just easily become a saver. Mm. I started to reevaluate all of my identity narratives and start to process how to go about reengineering them because we all know our brains are malleable and that we have a lot more flexibility in how we think and what we do than we might otherwise believe. Yeah. So to become a, because I will say I have identified as a spender myself and I loved the part in your book where you talked about identifying as a spender and then just deciding you're a saver. So for anyone else listening who would identify as a spender, how do you just like, how do you change that particular narrative? Well, first you just say it. Well, first you have to be willing to let go of ideas about yourself that you thought were true. That's a hard one. Be Mm -hmm. willing to strip away what otherwise used to be there. That's very, that can be very destabilizing for people, especially as you start to go deeper and go, what if who I am is not who I think I am? You know, it's kind of scary. What's an example um, of that? Can you share? What did you have to strip away? So I had to strip away the fact that I'm not a spender. I also had to strip away that I'm not out of control. That was mm, a big That's a that big one. Yep. I had to strip away that no one, actually, I wrote them all down once. I'll find them for you guys. We can publish it as a post. I had to strip yeah. away that no one helps me, that I'm all alone. 
that was a big one. That's a big that was probably the biggest one. And that's, it's funny when I go back, I did write them all down a few years ago. I went back. None of them are true anymore. It's so great. That's so cool. It is. It's so good. And so, you know, you start to you visualize yourself as a different person. And then the most critical step after that is you actually have to prove it to yourself. Otherwise, your brain won't believe you. So, for example, to prove to yourself that you're a saver, I do this constantly, especially when I get a massive bill and my emergency fund implodes, which happens like once a year or twice a year, is I have to prove to myself I'm a saver again, because otherwise I'll just throw myself down the rest of the stairs. And, you know, it can be as simple as going around your house and finding all the loose bills and putting them into a jar and being like, oh, look, I just saved that money. Ridiculous. But it could also be walking down the streets of New York City and go, I'm going to take the subway instead of a cab, even though I really want to take a cab right now. And then you calculate how much that would have cost and you physically experience transferring that money from checking to your savings account and boom, you just saved. And the more you can build up those small steps, it has an integrity snowball effect and it starts to manifest in really exciting ways. The integrity snowball effect. I love that. So I get the question a lot because I have this course called the Money Love Course and it's an ongoing thing. And I get the question a lot. And of course, I refer to your work because I think you're awesome. Um, but one of the questions we get a lot is, okay, so I have these different things I need to pay off. Like I've got student loans, I have credit card debt, but I also want to build up a savings. What do I do first? And I thought you so brilliantly answered this in your book. So can you share what that answer was? Because it's such a common question. Absolutely. The best thing you can do is take half of whatever money you have and put half of it towards your most expensive debt and then the other half toward your savings. And the reason why, I hope this is what you thought was so brilliant. It is. Is this your, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> and this is critical because there's nothing more satisfying than getting some sort of like, I don't know, your tax refund check or something and then paying down your credit card debt because you see the credit card debt go away. It feels so good. But then the problem is, is you don't have any more cash. So you're just as likely to go back into debt as you were before. And especially as women where we've been traditionally valued as for our selflessness and nurturing qualities in our cultural norms, it feels weird for us to have cash and sitting in a savings account that we're not spending. It feels selfish. It feels greedy. It feels wrong. It feels like you should be doing something with it. Anyway, you may not feel that way. I feel that way. Some people feel that way. Yeah. So I know there's some people listening going, I don't have that problem. Awesome. We love you. Stay that way. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But the challenge there, so with there, it's like a muscle to build for those of us who haven't been able to build savings is getting used to having cash that you're not spending. I'll just add a few notes to that for like basic finance is obviously you have to pay the minimums on all of your bills. And it makes a huge difference to pay at least double the minimum owed on your credit card. If you look at the math, it's like if you have $1,000 in debt and you pay the minimum, it takes you 10 years. But if you pay double the minimum, it only takes you three years, something like that. Wow. So, you know, you don't want to just pay the minimums, but you, what, you definitely don't want to put all of your extra money towards your debt because you really building cash liquidity is the greatest thing for all of your finances. Well, what you just said that really stuck with me is that you have this emergency fund that gets wiped out like one to two times a year. So mm -hmm. I have had this problem of thinking that like when I have a big expense that's unexpected, that somehow I'm a failure and that mm -hmm. like I suck. And so what I love about what you just said, and I know that that's not true, but you know, it's the unconscious things that run us and it's those, it's those money narratives. And I have this thing of like, oh my God, I should have 
been better somehow. So I didn't I'm have that on it all together. Yeah. What, what happens when they find out? Right, exactly. And so for you, this woman who I think you've become a money expert, even though you started Daily Worth and didn't identify as one, to yep. say, you know, my emergency fund gets wiped out once or twice a year, gives us all permission to be human, A. And B, the part where you say, put half your money towards your debt and put half your money towards your savings because we all are going to inevitably have expenses that we don't expect. And they're going to happen at least one to two times a year, no matter who you are. And it's going to get wiped out. And the thing that Amanda's saying, and I really want to make sure everyone hears this, is that if you put all your money towards paying off your debt, you're going to have an unexpected expense again, and you're going to get back into debt. So that that fund, that savings, the emergency fund, or I like to call it the cushion fund, allows you to not go into debt every time you have an unexpected expense, which is going to be several times a year. It's huge. You know, there's another way of looking at it, it, which is, oh, no, I just obliterated my emergency fund. It's thank God I had my emergency fund. Exactly. Yeah. What a great perspective shift. But what, like, do you take this philosophy different with different personality types? Yes, absolutely. Because some people have the opposite problem where they will white knuckle grip their savings at the cost of everything else. And that's why, have you guys seen Money Type yet? No. Is it a movie? No. Money Type is an application that we built that gives you financial advice based on your personality. Very cool. Is that like online somewhere? Yep. If you go to moneytype.me. Okay, cool. It's a 40 question assessment and it actually gives you saving and investing advice based on what your personality is. Thank you. How fabulous. That's great. Yeah, I just yes. happened to see this girl who came out with a book that's a diet based off your personality. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's amazing. So, you know, it, I haven't read it, but I don't know. I just saw the title and I was like, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. When you're, so I want to talk the real important question that Kate's not going to ask. So <laughs> what video game system did you play when you were growing up? And then are you still playing video games now? You know, I played Nintendo like eight hours a day, seven days a week from probably the time I was eight years old until I was 14, maybe. Yeah. You know, I just, I was like an awkward geeky kid and I, you know, it's just, it's respite for a kid like that. So I played mostly Kid Icarus and Super Mario Brothers and gosh, I don't really remember. There are probably 20 others, but I don't remember them. The one I talk about in my book is Kid Icarus because that's the one I played the most that had the most... It made the biggest impression in terms of the various emotional triggers and responses that I have to pretty much everything in life (laughs) defined by that game. I know. I love how you bring a character of video game and that's who you become. It's like your, what are the, avatar. Yeah. It's your avatar. Are you still playing video games or no? So, you know, I wasn't, but because of my book tour and talking about my book, I've been talking about this so much that I did get one of those vintage Nintendo games. And for the last week, I've been sitting down with my kids and playing and (laughs) goddamn, it's hard. <laughs> That's so funny. That's amazing. I keep dying right before the final doorway of the first level. I've died three times, and it takes you like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes to get there. And I just can't get past the Grim Reaper at the doorway, and I keep dying. And it's just like I want to throw the remote across the room. Oh my god! Well, so love it. Oh, I know you have another question, honey. Can I ask a quick parenting question? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this is not about money. Parenting. So Mm -hmm. you grew up, let's say for six years of your life, probably playing video games for like eight hours a day Mm -hmm. and you turned out awesome. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
That's well, debatable. But okay. I think <laughs> I don't know you that well, but I think I know you well enough to know that you're pretty awesome. So how old are your kids? They're eight and 10. They're eight and 10. Okay. So what are your, do you have any structure at your house around screen time? And if so, what it is and what, like, how did you make up those guidelines? You know, I'm not a rule follower and it was always really strange growing up because I'd be like, mom, why don't you give me rules? And this is the core tenant of the book as well. And she said, cause Amanda, the only thing I believe you need to be successful in life are two things, roots and wings. Roots to know that you have a family that loves you and wings to know that you have the confidence to do anything you want in life. And you're going to get thrown around a lot. But if I can just make sure you have those two things, I know you'll be able to do anything. And so that was pretty cool. Cool enough that I actually that's the core tenant of work. Figuring out the roots of your assets. But with my kids, you know what I'm less. No, my son will play six to eight hours of Minecraft on a specific day. What Uh I'm more interested in is cultivating their interest in musical instruments, in conversation at dinner, in, you know, outside athletics, their friends. And I'm focused on making sure that they are continuously going into those. At certain times, you know, I'll require them to read for 30 minutes before they can go onto screens. That one doesn't always hold, (laughs) but it sometimes does. Depends on how motivated I am. But other than that, no, I don't limit screen time because then screens, it's not screens that are bad. It's our relationship to them yes. as objects, whereas our whole life is, you know, somehow distributed through screens now. We have this strange separate relationship to them as these bad objects. And actually, my partner, Jordan Shapiro, is one of the world's leading experts on this exact subject. So if you Google Jordan Shapiro, he's a PhD in psychology and philosophy, and he has a lot of, he's the one who's really helping me shape all of these words. Okay. I can't um, wait to read more what he has to say because- we only have a 17 month old, so it's not really like a thing yet, but I think about it a lot because it was so different when I was growing up. And so I actually just really love hearing that you grew up playing video games eight hours a day because literally I am like, wow, Amanda turned out great. (laughs) It's actually super inspiring. And I also grew up without rules and I don't really want to become a mom with rules, but I can feel how sometimes like I get into fear around it. So Thank you for that. That was just like a personal ask. And I'm not sure I'm right necessarily. I just, you know, what I learned from my mom was she was always watching to see if we were healthy, happy kids. Yeah. And we were healthy, happy kids. There just was no reason to limit us. And if we were going through times of struggle, that was when she kind of pulled in the reins sort of thing. Well, yeah. And what you said is that it's not so much about limiting screen time. It's about adding in other things like athletics and friendships and conversation and musical instruments. So it's it's a very similar approach to some people, how they approach food, that it's not about taking away potato chips or sugar. It's about adding more greens, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a a perspective shift. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I mean, I think most kids played video games when they were kids. No, I know, but there's like, there's a lot of video games. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's very easy to get addicted to screens. I mean, it's true. Oh, very easily. Totally. Yeah. I think we all probably experienced that. Yeah. So I want to ask you about being, so being $100,000 in debt and then what is your mentality with taking debt, you know, or having debt because, or just like your emotional experience with that. Because I know some people like really freak out when they have $25 on their credit card and other people can ride with $300,000 and it doesn't even flinch. So isn't that fascinating? I also know people who have a million dollars in the bank and think they're poor and people who have a hundred thousand dollars in debt and they're like, I'm doing great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, yeah, and then you have like billionaires who don't feel they have enough money, or I think from you know because you went from 100k in debt to building this business. So, what is your yeah. I guess your thought and how have you processed your debt? I'm most interested in my net worth, which is positive now, but I do have some debt left from my divorce. What fascinates me about net worth is it's a sign of how much your assets are going to be able to serve you later in life. It's the security, it's the freedom to know that you can take more risks because you have that security and you're not going to be depending on others. Though, jokingly, I do give my kids extra dessert because I fear that they may be partially my roots and that I will be depending on them one day. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think so, Amanda. (laughs) Uh, You know, I take a lot of risks. So then what happens is it's really about how much risk you take. And I take about as much risk. I started a financial services company two years ago. That's a lot of risk, you know, in terms of the amount of venture capital needed to go into building it so that it's fully sustainable. So it's not about debt for me. It's about how much of that debt. First of all, there's just debt that happens because of life circumstances. You really can't control that. And if you're going to beat yourself up about it, don't waste your time. Then there's the debt that you do choose, you know, like there's a big trip I take to Greece every summer. We decided to take our kids last summer. I didn't have miles like I thought I did. I shouldn't have put it on the credit card and I did. You know, it's like you live with that, you roll with it, you pay it off when you can. And then there's the debt that you take on, like the fact that I take a much smaller salary right now than I would otherwise because of the way the businesses are growing because I'm invested in the equity of the ownership of those businesses. So For me, it's about my net worth and how much risk I'm comfortable taking so that I can both ensure my own security in the future, but also have fun building wealth because, you know, you have to take risk in order to build wealth. Yeah. And then also for that social activism piece or not necessarily social activism piece, but the social, what was the part that you said at the beginning? It was the social social impact. Impact Impact is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Yeah. Because the risk you're taking has allowed you to reach a lot more people. Yeah, like and playing that, it safe. that to me is the whole reason why money even matters to me in the first place. It's yeah. like, you know, I'm an upper middle class educated person with pretty much every benefit one could be given. So I don't worry about myself in terms of like basic maintenance. Lucky me, right? Yeah. That's just like luck. But the only thing I think that really I really care about other than my family, where I get the most exhilaration from is seeing how many other lives I can impact as a result of my privilege. And so all of money to me at this point, outside of my basic maintenance, is about how much of that I can produce. Very cool. How do you evaluate your risk? So I'll explain. Just like you invested, you created, it's worth FM, right? Is that what Mm -hmm. you were? Okay. So we can talk a little bit about that. I want to ask a couple questions about that later. But like when you go in to say, you know, because we have a lot of folks who listen or that are in our circle that just like start a business, right? Want to start a in our direct selling company, like to even get going. And that's like 700, like 800 bucks you could get going on a business that could produce X, you know, 10 X your investment. So when you look at starting something new, and I also have a question regarding venture capital as well, but that's for another one. But like when you sit down to say, all right, how do you take this, you know, you're taking on new risk, you're taking on new money. Like what goes through your head when you're going down this line to say, is this a good decision for me or is this not? Again, it's my personality type. If you go take money type, depending on what you come out as, I come out as 100% visionary 
Mm. which is partly explains my insanity, which is the, my whole life is caught up in the ideas that I want to manifest in the world, right? Some people really want a big house and a beautiful life. Awesome. It doesn't motivate me. Some people really want to just be able to provide for their family no matter what. Yes, I would love to do that. But for me, it's the, you've heard me say this 18 times. I don't need to repeat it again. The other thing about visionaries though, is they are the most risk aggressive of any personality type. So the way my brain processes it is what's the risk of not doing it? What is Mm. the opportunity I'm leaving on the table if I didn't do this? And when the idea for Worth FM came about, it was so profoundly necessary and clearly needed that I couldn't imagine not doing it. That's what happens to me when big things change. Like after that workshop with Ra, it wasn't that I was trying to figure out if I should do Daily Worth. It was that I really could not imagine not doing it. It wasn't a choice. And what was it that you saw that made you realize that Worth FM was so needed? You know, so Worth FM is an investing platform where anyone with $50 can open up an investment account. And we actually, we give you three accounts automatically, a savings account, an investment account, and a retirement account. So that we're already starting to bring you into a picture of looking at all of your finances, even if you don't use more than one account initially. And what I realized was we were delivering advertising for Daily Worth for six years and we were including, you know, Fidelity and Schwab and Vanguard and Betterment and Wealthfront and, you know, Edelman and all these different financial advisor networks. And what I would hear over and over again from the advertisers is women aren't interested in money. They just don't engage. I'm so glad you're laughing. I love you. I mean, I just, that's yeah, such it bullshit. It gets worse. I have a story about this. This is why I want to ask the venture capitalist question. Oh, okay. But go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. We'll get to it. So... I would hear this so often and then it started to get to the point where, you know, the $500,000 they were spending with Daily Worth was shrinking down to like $50,000 and they were pushing us off into their niche diversity budgets and, you know, basically spending the rest of their money on MarketWatch. And this is all of financial services. I'm not picking out any particular brand Right, right here. of course. So I developed these ideas of which now money type and aspects of the way Worth FM work And I, instead of, I didn't know I was going to start a financial services company, but I knew how to create the bridge experience so that women did engage so that women could have products that made sense to them. Cause you need to invest and understand your money in order to do everything you want to do. So I formulated these ideas and I shopped them around to all these different companies. I got all the way up to the chief marketing officer level and some of the largest financial institutions and presented to them. And they all said to me, Amanda, great idea. I think what you're doing could totally work. I'm not interested right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're looking for these massive market opportunities. And when, you know, essentially it seems as though the industry is ignoring the half of the population, that's kind of a ridiculous market opportunity. <laughs> so yeah. I thought, wow, and Daily Worth can't really fulfill on its mission to shift women's relationship to money and build net worth if there's nowhere that really makes sense to them to go to. I mean, Betterment does and a few of the other ones do, but even those have aspects of their user experience that don't resonate with where women are in relationship to their money right now. And where is that? So where that is, is we are shifting from two identity constructs culturally. The first one I call the good girl, where she's feminine, nurturing, soft, selfless, and really integrates into the family unit. And then there's where we're transitioning to, some of us anyway, which is the lady boss. And she's independent and strong-minded and has a core identity outside of her family and is in a, can be in a happy relationship, may not be in a happy relationship. That doesn't necessarily influence how she thinks about her worth. 
And what's going on right now is we're caught in between the two. And not everyone wants to make this transition, which is totally fine. But there's a lot of folks who've either, women who've either chosen to make that transition. I was kind of never given a choice raised by a divorced mother. You started there. I started there. And then there's those who landed there by accident, either because they kind of woke up one day and went, oh, crap, I have to figure this stuff out, or because they got divorced or they never got married or they never found that person that they could depend on for this type of information. So as a result of this transition, most women right now are confused. There's cognitive dissonance. There's a lot of noise in the brain around the subject. And so they really are intimidated by going somewhere and discovering what they think they should have known, the guilt and shame. What if I don't know how to do this? I don't understand it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where women are is a desire to engage further, but a lot of resistance to whether or not they should be. How do you think that affects men? Oh, oh my God. It's be- deeply complicated for both genders. Right. Cause that like just hearing that I've never heard it explained that way. I don't know. I haven't read all of your book yet. I'm kind of obsessed with it. I told Kate this morning, I was like, I, all I want to do is read this thing all day. It, you're a really good writer, by the way. Yeah, because I like read this and I'm like, okay, how does that affect like if someone's in a man woman relationship? You know, how does that affect that situation? I don't know if you've seen any of that from your working with Daily Worth, etc. Well, I mean, I can start with my own relationship with Jordan. I feel like he should be on this podcast with you next. He's fascinating. He we meant. can always have you two both together later. I want to. Who's creating the Christmas cards? <laughs> That's all him. He makes me look sane. I'm telling you, it's it's bad. Yeah, yeah I, I I like this guy. Just for um, listeners, Amanda okay. and Jordan send the most genius, off the wall, custom Christmas cards that you cannot believe. So they posted it online this year, yeah. so I'll link it up in the show notes. Yeah, and if you go to jordanshapiro.org, you'll see some of them there. Also, oh, okay, perfect. So you know he's incredible because I honestly, when my ex husband and I separated. I was convinced that I was never going to be able to be in a relationship again because I'm too ambitious and I just have this different type of mentality than most women that isn't attractive to men. That was what I thought. And it was kind of sad, but then it was also liberating because I was no longer attached to being something that I suddenly realized I wasn't. Of course, that exact day I ran into Jordan at a traffic light. It was like literally five minutes later. Like you Um, hit him? No, like I pulled up right next to him. I was like oh. sobbing and crying and pu- I had pulled out of my house. I was going to buy a car so that I could separate from my ex-husband and I pulled up to the traffic light. Jordan and I went to junior high together. And I had oh, so you actually him. knew him. I knew him, yeah. And I was like, Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it was probably six months until we became boyfriend, girlfriend. But what's fascinating about him, the reason why I was so excited to be in a relationship with him once it turned out to be that was he said, I'm never going to get in the way of your being a rock star. That's what I love about you. Mm. And, and I was like, wow, I get to be myself in a relationship. And the only way that's able to work is that his self-worth is not related to how much money he makes. And he loves it because, you know, there are times when I'm making a lot more money than him. There's sometimes when he's making more money than me now. But for a while, I was making a lot more money than him. And he was like, sweet, I don't have to pay for dinner, you know, or (laughs) like I'm the one working till 11 o'clock at night. And he's sitting at home by the fireplace reading a book, which is his happy place. So, you know, it's great to be with someone who's really strong, really alpha, does get irritated by my amount of working, but he accepts me for who I am. And it is possible when you separate your self-worth from your income. For guys, which is just as hard as it is for women to separate our self-worth from our selflessness. Yes. Thank you for that clarity. 
What do you think knowing about Jordan and his upbringing? And I guess we should have him on to ask him this question. But, but what do you suppose as his girlfriend that led him to be an unusual man in that he does not connect his self-worth with his income? I think I'm now speaking for him. I can't wait for him to listen to this and be like, you're totally wrong. You didn't get, you should have said this. Um, we'll do an update. We'll do an update. You know, I think for him, he was in many relationships prior. He was also married previously where he was the provider. And honestly, I think, you know, there's both the manliness that comes from that, but it also can be just as paralyzing for men to have to be the provider as it is for the woman to have to be dependent. And I think he saw it really liberating to be able to be in a relationship with someone and not have to take care of them. It is totally liberating. Yeah. 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 We just literally... We should have recorded our conversation earlier today. We just like talked about. Yeah, this is the perfect extension of what we've been talking about all day. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's big. I mean, I would say from my experience, I mean, what I shared with Kate earlier today was the there's such a talk about money story. You know, I know you share that in your book. The value that I mean, Kate and I run our business together, right? We are the only owners of or 50 50 partners. We have a ton of freelancers that work with us, et cetera. But the in Kate's been like the face of our company doing webinars, et cetera, and money's been generated from her putting herself out there. And I've been in charge of the systems, et cetera, building the back end of it. But I told her today, I was like, I don't. And it's it just came clear to me like yesterday or today or something. It was so interesting that we're having this conversation. And a lot of it came from reading your book in the introduction when you gave the facts and statistics on who really controls the money in the world, where it's 51% women and they're in charge of $12 trillion. And I'm reading all this stuff. I'm like, holy smokes. And it hit me. I was just like, I have put a value of what, like we're working this business together, right? But if I go sell something for $7, then all of a sudden I have provided $7 worth of value to our marriage and our business. Where instead of saying like building the funnel to create, you know, the back end tech stuff, to me, has provided the amount of value I brought is zero, right? Because yeah. there's not a dollar attribution to like there, it's cost center exactly. So it's like I have to make a sale to provide value to the family, and like we just had this. It was like an hour and a half conversation about all this stuff that I just you know just told you, and so it was like such an interesting perspective of what you just shared about Jordan. And I really realized like I've been putting my net worth and self worth onto what comes in, which totally hurts our business, hurts our relationship, hurts our marriage, everything. And it was such a, like a clarity piece to be a part of where I was like, wow, I really attribute like making $7 is how much I bring value into this relationship. I'm like, that's no good for anybody. Like that does, it's not helping me. It's not helping Kate. It's not helping Penelope. It's not and what helping- I'm so interested in is just the fact that you are looking to create dollar value to your worth as opposed to making it, a, I don't know, that's a high ticket item. It sounds like you can't win either way. Yeah. No, you can't. There's no way. Cause even if I, let's say I make a million dollars and all of a sudden it almost, and what I ended up creating in our relationship and business, we're just having therapy right now, but basically it was like, but I think it's really important because I think this goes on so many times is I created a competition where it was self-generated competition with my wife. You know, about like who's going to build a bigger business or make more money type of a thing. And you're right. It's like if I would have made a million dollars, like all of a sudden I have a million dollars worth of worth that I would could and not. But it's like I could hold that over her head, which probably happens in a lot of relationships. But yeah, I think it's a really 
profound place. It's a messy subject, isn't it? Money. It's just like, Oh, there's so much emotion tied up in it. And it's, that also saddens me, you know, that, but I mean, of course we all fall victim to it because it plays such a critical role in our lives, but that's also why the video game metaphor is so important. We have to become more playful about it. Because I just, think that is so true. It's just like, God, it's so heavy, you know? Yes. It and is. also becoming more playful about it. But then also it's like, it's kind of this delicate dance between both, right? Because one of the things I think that women historically have done is not taken it seriously enough and mm-hmm. not stepped into the game enough. But it's like, as you are taking yourself seriously Financially, you can actually be more playful. And one of the things you talked about that I thought was worth touching on is shifting our focus from budgeting, saving, and earning to net worth. And Mm -hmm. you've touched on that, but do you mind sharing one more time, because I think it bears repeating, what is so important about net worth and why maybe we don't need to be focusing so much on earning and saving and budgeting? Yes. Even though obviously they're all connected. (laughs) The reason why money matters is so that you can take care of yourself, obviously, now and in the future. And it would be nice if you didn't have to work until you die. It's not always going to be possible for everyone, but it's a nice goal to have in mind, intention, to think about your future self as well as your present self. That can be extremely overwhelming when you have debt because you're like, oh, I can never save for my retirement while I have debt. And that can feel really demoralizing and depressing. Mm-hmm. So as a result of, of this whole dialogue, everything that I just covered, most women's and probably men's feeling about money is overwhelm. That's the number one thing. That's the core root problem in the daily worth business that we are solving for is, so what's the opposite of overwhelm is clarity. That's why I named our course Money Clarity. Hmm. And essentially what clarity means is when you can figure out your net worth, you know, your net worth might be 200,000 negative or you know, a million positive. I'll explain how you calculate it in a second. It becomes clarity because all that really matters is that you're moving your net worth in the positive direction. So here's what net worth means. If you take the value of everything that you own, let's just take for most people, it's your retirement account in your house. We're going to leave businesses out of this one because businesses are illiquid and they're very hard to liquidate. So we're going to leave that one out. So what's the value of your home and what's the value of your retirement account? And then what cash do you have? Maybe you've got a boat or something else like that. If you're something big, you can factor that in. And then what's the value of all of your debts? How much is on your mortgage? How much is on your credit cards? How much student loans that you have? When you add together your assets and you subtract your liabilities, that number at the end is your net worth. And what's interesting about that is you could be making a million dollars a year, but have negative net worth. This happens all the Hmm. time. Or you could be making $40,000 a year and have a million dollars in net worth. So as a result, your income becomes less about how much you save and how much it becomes a disciplinary action and a willpower as it is about how you are able to use aspects of your income to advance your roots. Because once you really get good roots going, they can actually accelerate in their appreciation. That gets exciting because then you don't have to work so hard to have money. Well, yeah. And just Hmm. from a physical, like when you talk about net worth and roots, I have a visceral experience of a sense of calm. 
And so there is this feeling, you know, I think that we can be on kind of the hamster wheel and as you know, it's called the rat race for a reason, right? This feeling of like, oh, just keep making more, just keep making more, just keep making more. And we've, Mm -hmm. at least we've had the experience of, you know, continuing to make more money and continuing to spend more money and make more, spend more. So you're never actually changing your financial picture. But when you focus on net worth, that's like the best indicator of your actual financial picture. Exactly. Yeah. And make sure for you guys too, that you are separating your business income from your personal income. Yes. This is also a massive danger is especially when you take too much money out of your business and then your business can't grow. So you almost want to make sure that you have an emergency fund for your business that you're not even taking as income so that you really start to put yourself on a salary of sorts. I don't know if you guys do this, but I found this to be really important over the years. Otherwise I will spend everything that comes in and then my business. Right. And then your business has nothing to work from. We have done that in years past. We're in a really great spot now, but yeah, but we've, we've we've (laughs) definitely, it's only as a result of having made mistakes. Yeah. Change is possible. It is possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We've been pretty (laughs) consistent since May. We really had a do some work where, you know, and put those structures in place. I think it was very helpful. We got outside help and it was very beneficial for someone else to help us. Yep. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Especially because Mike and I have very similar, well, it'll be interesting when we go through money, the money type. The money type. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see, but my conjecture is that we have very similar money types. So bringing in a third party has been really helpful because it helps sort of counter our natural tendencies. And your sabotage patterns. Exactly. The sabotage patterns, for sure. So with your book out there, with Daily Worth and with Worth FM, what's the big picture here? What's your desire? What are you creating, Miss Visionary? You know, I think that, you know, women are inheriting the majority of wealth right now. And the way our economy works is it's very much a zero-sum game, at least the way Wall Street has behaved for the last couple hundred years, where it's, I want to make more than you. And there's, of course, the real evolution of social impact investing. And so what I'm really looking at is, what does it look like so that we can invest so that we thrive and the world thrives at the same time? What does that investment opportunity look like? And how do we model out how that looks? I want to move money in the direction of a system that works for everyone, not just individuals. It's big. It's big. Hmm. That's big. I want to help you in whatever way I can. We'll keep talking about that. Thank you. Um, It's it's so big. I'm like, wow. Can you just like ratchet it down a little bit, Amanda, on the ambition scale? But no, no, but it's it's so needed. That is exactly, that is the solution. I mean, that is the solution is a money system that serves all. And that's based on the collective, not the individual. It decreases wealth inequality. It doesn't increase wealth inequality. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that that's really profound. And it's it's a huge paradigm shift. So I love that all of the things that you're doing are contributing to that greater vision. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mike, do you want to ask your famous last question? Sure. What do you want your funeral to be like? (gasps) Burning Man, of course. (laughs) (laughs) For people that don't know what Burning Man is, could you you give a describe describe what your funeral experience would be like? Yes, it would be a big arts festival in the desert where everyone pours their energy into creating something beautiful for the world. And at the end, we set it all on fire, probably including me. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Amanda, where would you prefer that people find you? What's the best hub to start with? 
Hmm, wherever you are already, because I'm here to bend for you, not you for me. So you can find me on Twitter at Amanda Steinberg or Facebook at Amanda M. Steinberg or amandasteinberg.net, or you can go subscribe to Daily Worth, and I peek my head out there quite often. Okay, fantastic. And then, of course, for sure, go check out moneytype.me. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Mike and I have a lot to discuss. Continuing. My pleasure. And I took notes, which I do not often do during our podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. You're amazing. Love you guys. Rock on. Love you too. Ever feel like you're constantly doing things, but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you? Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrup.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.